evening, and I invite you to stand with me as we observe God's Word. We're going to be in the Hebrews chapter 10 tonight. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 is where we will start. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. May God bless the ring of his word is my prayer. You may be seated. It has been said that the great hymn, Blessed Assurance, could have been wrote in reference to this, uh, to this word here. The writer of the song, uh, Blessed Assurance, was a blind woman by the name, by the name of Fanny Crosby. This song, uh, I, I hear Brother Rich from time to time in the office, and he'll be just singing a song, going after it, whatever song it may be. And, uh, and I guess I've been hanging around him too long. And so now Blessed Assurance, for some reason, has just been stuck in my head. And so I started to look up the song, and I knew that I had to, had to preach uh, this Sunday night. And I came to the scripture, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And so it's said that the song that Fanny Crosby wrote was in reference to this verse here. She was uh, blinded at the age, young age uh, due to medical malpractice that could not be undone. Uh, Miss Crosby would later go on to say that she would not want to leave her, get her sight back. Because she would not have the same perspective that she did then being blinded. And she may not have written the songs that she did Songs that we still sing today, if she would have had her sight. Her perspective was different. She also said that the face of Jesus would be the first face she sees when she has her sight back. What a, what a blessed assurance uh, for this woman that wrote this song. The blessed assurance that we have as believers is something that we hold near and dear to our hearts. And certainly one that this songwriter did also. As believers, we have the hope of heaven. This is the assurance that we have that from the moment that we accept Christ as our Savior, that we are heaven bound. We've placed our faith in Jesus, and because of that time, because of that moment, because that transaction has taken place, we are headed to our heaven country. We have this hope of heaven, this assurance that we have from the moment that we place our faith in Jesus for salvation. That we are eternally secure. Hope is a major theme of the book of Hebrews. We hope for a lot in this world. We hope for rain. And we got rain yesterday. Praise the Lord. We hope that the stock market will come down. But that's not certain. You know, we can hope that we'll get a good person in office the next go around. But that's not certain either. There's a lot of things in this world that we hope for. You know, I, I find myself, you know, from time to time saying, and it's frequent in my conversation, I hope this and I hope that. But those hopes are not like the hope that we have in Jesus. The hope that we have in Jesus is held by the power of God. The writer of the book of Hebrews spends the chapters that are leading up to chapter 10 explaining the, the hope that we have in him and explaining to the Hebrews the hope that they had in Jesus. That Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the better sacrifice and that his sacrifice was sufficient. The writer in these chapters tells us that Jesus is better than the angels. 
He's better than Moses and, and the law that Moses gave to the people of Israel through God. He's better than that law because the law cursed. But the new covenant brings life and brings a blessing. Jesus is the one who has been given the power over death and over sin. And it is his light that shines through us. It is his light that works in us. And so uh, Hebrews, I don't have enough time to cover it, but Hebrews chapter 1 through Hebrews chapter uh, 10 covers, uh, you know, that Jesus is the better way. The blood of bulls and goats would never suffice, but the blood that Jesus shed on the cross was sufficient. That he was that perfect sacrifice. That he gave himself up. He humbled himself for a moment to be lower than the angels. So that he could be lifted up. Jesus here gave himself for you and I. And the Hebrew brethren that would be reading this scripture. It was a letter written to them. They would have read it in entirety. They wouldn't have read it in, in just small chunks. They would have gone through and read this letter. And I can imagine they would have devoured this letter. They would have ate it to say uh, this letter to them was of great importance. It was a letter that meant everything to them. The, whoever wrote it, it was important to them what he was saying. That Jesus was the better sacrifice. At this time, they were still going to the temple to offer sacrifices. And so here Jesus is laid out as being that one who is sufficient. The one who is better. And Hebrews chapter 6, 17 through 20 says, Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise his immutability. I've got to pronounce that one right. Uh, immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And which enters into the presence behind the veil. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This word immutable here means something that is unchangeable. I don't know if Brother Bill saw my, my notes in the, I don't know if we can see everything, you know, in the, in the new software we have. But maybe he was creeping on my sermon. It seems like the songs that he, he gave us today just lined right up. The word immutable here means something that is unchangeable. God's promise and his oath are unchangeable. They are set in stone because it is God who has promised and God cannot lie is what the scripture says. Anyone who's ever been out on a boat in rough water or maybe you've been out on a boat and you're crappie fishing and you found the honey hole and you're trying to stay there. You know the importance of an anchor. You set that anchor down so you don't drift too far away. And so here are you know, waters that are trying to push you away. Trying to stay there at that spot so you can catch all the crappie. The anchor holds that boat in place. And so the hope of eternal life only through Jesus is the anchor that keeps us as believers secure when the troublesome times come. This is God's promise. And the scripture says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
He is our anchor no matter what may be thrown at us, no matter the storm that may rise, no matter the temptation that may come, no matter the hardships, the persecution, he is our anchor. And the Hebrews that were reading this letter certainly knew about persecution. They certainly knew about hard times. They knew about the waves that were coming at them, crashing over them. And we see that Romans 8. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a, a sure anchor, an anchor that is steadfast, an anchor that is immutable or unchangeable, and by his power we are kept. Hebrews 8 would continue on and say, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. I love uh, when the writers of the, of, the, of the text will say, This is the main point. And you will find those uh, a few times in Scripture, but the writer here says, This is the main point. I'm a simple kind of guy. I want to know what the main point is. This is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. And so the author here clearly lays out the point of everything that he has been saying from chapter 1 until this point right here. Identifying Christ as the high priest, who is not like the high priest before, who were mere men, but this high priest is in fact seated at the right hand of God making intercession for his children. A minister of the tabernacle, not built by the hands of men, but, uh, but one that has been built by Christ himself. Hebrews 9 says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The hope of the gospel, now to appear in the presence of God for us, that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, even uh, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ has offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Our hope is not in ourselves, but in the one who entered into the God's holy presence on our behalf. Christ entered into the presence of God as a sacrifice for sin once and for all the truth. There would have never been a re another requirement for sacrifice because Christ's sacrifice was and is sufficient. His sacrifice was enough. When Christ died on the cross and he gave himself up, that was it. When Christ said, it is finished, he meant what he said. It is finished. His sacrifice was sufficient. When reading the book of Hebrews, one can see the gaze to heaven. We see the truth of the gospel that should direct our eyes toward the heaven country. We eagerly wait for Christ to appear and be with him in glory. The hope of the gospel, that this life is not it. 
When times are hard and we, uh, maybe our faith is lacking and we're stumbling, uh, we're dealing with things of this world, we have the hope of the gospel. That this is not our home. That we're just passing through. The, the writer was writing to people who knew a lot about the history of traveling, sojourning. For generations and generations and generations, the people of God had traveled, were sojourners passing through. The writer shifts gears in chapter 10, verse 19, with a therefore statement. So he takes 10 chapters to get to this moment here where he says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. This is there because of everything that was previously stated. Because Christ is our high priest. Because he did in fact defeat death and sin. Because he is better than the old way. And you can look in Hebrews and you can see that the writer so clearly writes it out how Christ is better. And how Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. I'll give you some homework. Go home and read it. Hebrews chapter 1 through 10. There's a lot there that the writer covers. But Christ is sufficient. He is better than the old way and he has brought a new way. He offers a new way. And the believer is to have confidence to enter boldly into the presence of God. That is our confidence. That we can enter into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has sealed us. And because the Holy Spirit has sealed us, we can enter into God's presence. The writer will then invite those who are reading this letter to draw near. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with it from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us draw near. This phrase, draw near, is mentioned many times in the scriptures. It is mentioned in the Old Testament. It's also mentioned in the New Testament. And even when reading Hebrews chapter 1 through, verse, uh, through chapter 10, you can see this phrase, draw near, multiple times. We all uh, know what James said in James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. A promise that if we draw near to God, if we approach God, God will approach us. We can have that confidence. That when we go to God the Father with our needs, He is there. He is listening. He, he, he knows what we're going to say even before we say it. But we have that promise that he will also draw near to us. And also in Psalm 73, verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. But it is good for me to draw near to God. It is good for each and every one of us to draw near to God. Our lives would look drastically different if we would draw near to God. And he says, I have put my trust in the Lord God. That I may declare all your works, but it is good for me to draw near to God. Drawing near to God is not going to hurt you. It's going to help you. This idea, idea of drawing near would have seemed foreign to the Hebrew readers. 
To them, they could not enter into God's presence. But they were kept far away from God's presence. They were to atone for their sins through the blood of animals. And yet, that was just only a temporary covering. The old way kept them out. But the new way brings them into God's presence. The writer here is trying to assure them that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. That the old way has been done away with and truly there is a new way. And that new way is through Jesus Christ. The veil has been torn in two and we can enter into his presence. Thus this reason for great detail in the previous chapters. God is now approachable through his son Jesus Christ. And we are to draw near with a sincere heart. They were uh, to, to draw near with a sincere heart. Uh, this meaning a heart that is true and genuine. Not a heart that is, uh, has ulterior motives. A heart that is set towards God. Paul is addressing an issue that there were some Hebrews amongst their midst whose hearts were not true when it came to the gospel. Maybe they had ulterior motives. Maybe they were just hanging around. But he is addressing them and he says, draw near with a true heart. And then he is urging them to come to Christ sincerely. Come to Christ sincerely committed. Committed to Christ. You know, we all talk about commitments. You know, where do our commitments lie? And I hope that our commitments lie with Christ. That we have a heart that is committed to God. And everything that we say and everything that we do, we are going to be committed to God. We're to draw near in full assurance of faith. Knowing that our confidence comes from God's word. Knowing that we can point to God's word and say, this is why I draw near. Because God's word is true. If God said it, he's going to do it. If God, uh, in his word, tells us to draw near to him and he will draw near to us, then he will do just what he says he is going to do. And if God's word says that we have a high priest in heaven who ministers for us, then we do have a high priest in heaven who ministers for us. And he also says in this scripture here, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This, the priest uh, in Levitical times, would sprinkle the blood of sacrifices as a way of cleansing. They would go around and sprinkle the blood. But through faith, the blood of Christ has been sprinkled on our hearts. And we are washed by the pure water of God's word. We are cleansed. We then see that the writer tells the reader to hold fast. And notice how he, when he introduces these Things he says, let us, let us, including himself, let us hold fast confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We're to draw near and then we're to tightly hold that which we've obtained. This is not saying that we can lose our salvation. Rather that we should hold on to that which we have believed. We should hold on tightly to it. I almost get the picture of a, a bull rider holding on to his rope, hanging on for dear life, holding fast. We're holding on to our confession that Christ is our Savior. 
that he did die on the cross for our sins and the sins of the world, that we have placed our faith in him, and that by his power we will have eternal life. And we are to do so without wavering. We all understand how easy it can be for our faith to waver. From time to time, we're going to be thrown off course. From time to time, uh, things will happen in our lives that try to distract us. We are holding on to our faith without wavering. It is God who gives us the strength to endure the hardships and the temptations of this life. And we almost see a picture of a ship headed for its destination. The ship is set to stay the course. The captain of the ship will adjust when wind and waves come to throw the ship off, of course. But the destination is still the same. The destination never changes. We have a home country. God's word has promised us that. We have the hope of the gospel. And we have our eyes set towards heaven, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one that we look to. He is the one that we cling to. He is the one that we hold on to. There are many things in this world that we hold on to. I hope that we would be a people that hold on to the promise of the gospel. That we would let go of things that we need to let go of. Maybe it's doubt we need to let go of. Maybe it's insecurities that we need to let go of. Maybe it's sin. But we would hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And it says, for he who promised is faithful. A promise from God about a promise. That God is faithful to his people. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we have called upon the name of the Lord, then we are held by the power of God. For eternal salvation. It is his righteous hand that holds us. It is his righteous hand that we look to. His righteous hand that guides us. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. God is faithful in ways that we cannot comprehend. His faithfulness Truly is from heaven. Faithfulness is his character. The writer is telling the Hebrews to not let go of this saving faith that they have. And remember God's character of faithfulness. If anything else, remember that God is faithful. Remember that God will hold you. The writer then tells the readers to consider one another. Hebrews 10, 24-25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. For a Jewish person in the early church, they would need each other greatly. There was a, a pull to go back to the way that things were before. And we see this in the New Testament writings. There was a way to go back to do not handle, do not touch, do not do this, do not do that. And Paul addresses a lot of those issues. But here we see the writer of Hebrews uh, telling them to consider one another. To lift one another up, exhorting one another. To stir up love and good works. And to not forsake the assembling of themselves together. And obviously there were some who were doing that. 
Remember that the writer spent a lot of time assuring them that Christ was better than the old way. I, I, I can imagine the writer here pouring his heart out to them. It was a heartfelt letter that Christ was enough, that Christ was sufficient. John chapter 12 says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, speaking of Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And so this neglecting of themselves together was even present when Jesus was there. That there were some who believed in him, but they did not confess him because they were scared of the Pharisees. For they were scared to be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They were afraid to go all in for the gospel. It can be assumed that some of the wavering believers have been excusing themselves from gathering of themselves together with other believers. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Fellowship was important and uh, then and it is important now. We are to come together and we are to see how we can serve one another. The writer here, and we've seen it time and time, he says, let us, let us, let us. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And we also see the command to be encouraging to one another. They were consi consider the ones around them and how they could stir up love and good works. People are always in the stirring up business. You know, something that uh, when I was a kid, I remember... Maybe my grandma, I can't remember who it was, but always saying, you know, they're just stirring up dust. Uh, we lived on a gravel road, and it was, you know, summertime dry. There would almost be just a dust cloud that would form, and, you know, it would just, the wind would catch it, and you could just see that dust cloud. Stirring up dust, or maybe stirring up trouble. Something we've all heard. And the writer here is telling the Hebrews to stir up love and good works. It's this idea of, you know, having a big old pot. And they're going to put a, a bunch of love in there and a bunch of good works. And they're going to stir it up. And they're going to give it out for everybody to have. It's not this idea of, this is about me and what can I get from this. He was, he was almost warning them to not be that way. It's a self-sacrificial type of love. The love that we know that comes from Christ. To stir up love and good works. This idea when we gather together, we are going to see how we can serve one another. Not serving ourselves. Not neglecting ourselves meeting together. But we are going to serve one another. We are going to love one another. They were con to consider the ones around them. You know, we have people that come in here on Sundays and Wednesdays. Other days throughout the week. And as we enter in through, through these doors, as we enter each other's homes, as we see each other in the stores, we should have that thought on our mind. How can I stir up love and good works here in this place? I don't want to stir up the dust. I don't want to stir up myself. But I want to stir up love. The early church... We're not the only ones who needed to hear this. But in fact, we also need each other. 
We need each other. And the scripture says even more as you see the day approaching. That as we draw nearer and nearer to Christ's return. Whenever that may be. That we should continue to stir up love and good works. That we should look to each other. And say how can I serve my brother? How can I serve my sister? As believers who are partakers of the new covenant. That is spoke about in Hebrews chapter uh, 1 through, verse t- uh, through chapter 10. And in all the New Testament. The new covenant. We are to encourage one another in the faith. With a perspective towards heaven. You know I don't know about you. But from time to time I need to be encouraged. There are times when we have our heads down. There are time when, times when life is tough. And the Hebrews, no doubt, were walking through a a tough time in this moment. They were walking through a tough time where some are are walking away, where some are neglecting the meeting of themselves together. Where some are, uh, you know, teaching doctrine that is not right. We are to be a people who stir up love amongst each other. Even more as we see the day approaching. And I'll end with this. The uh, last verse of blessed assurance. Not going to sing it, Brother Rich. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I am my Savior and happy and blessed. Watching and waiting. Looking above. Filled with his goodness. Lost in his love. At Fanny Crosby, she wrote that song with a view towards heaven. And the writer of Hebrews here wrote the book of Hebrews with a view towards heaven. And I hope that we, as believers, would have that view towards heaven. That Jesus is our blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. It is heaven that we are headed to. It is Jesus that we look to. And it is each other that we cling to. If you are here today, or if you're watching online... And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you do not have that blessed assurance that comes from accepting Christ as your Savior, now is the time. Now is the time to call out to God. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that we can enter into his presence, that he will hear you, that you can go to him, confess your sin, and he is faithful and just forgive us of our sins. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I pray that you would. I hope that you would. And for those of us who have, we have this blessed assurance. Let us pray.